This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 756, Comic Talk. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 756, and I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is a comic talk episode. It's going to be a quick little episode where I'm just going to talk about some stuff that kind of uh, was on the top of my mind uh, when thinking about uh, what to talk about for this episode. The first thing I wanted to talk about um, was actually um, something I've been thinking about. It's less comic-related, I guess, but because uh, it's not about the comic book specifically, but instead it's about the uh, the Arrowverse TV shows. Um, so, I mean, up until recently there was Arrow, which just recently ended. There was uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, Supergirl, uh, and The Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. Did I mention them all? I think that's it. Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, Supergirl. Okay. I guess Black Lightning, too. Um, so I remember when the Arrow first came on, I, I think I maybe watched the first episode. I really wasn't that into it or intrigued by it. Um, it's interesting. I think at the time, my dad, who's never really been a comic book fan, at least he, he's an interesting person because he was always like, eh, get a, you know, grow up from those comic books. And then when I was growing up, he had a few comics that he would kind of throw my way, but they were like, you know, the old school, like 60s stuff. And then I remember him being like, well, you know, I stopped buying comics when I was a kid, blah, blah, blah. And I remember coming across uh, years and years later and realizing that one of the issues that he had given me, which is Superman 220, which is a, a Flash and Superman uh, classic kind of Silver Age story where they end up in each other's costumes. So they think they're each other, each other. Yeah, totally bizarre and crazy, but a lot of fun. Um, anyways, that particular issue was from like 69. And I was like, well, Dad, you were 19 years old. So you were still buying comics. What's going on here? Something doesn't add up. Um, but uh, for some reason, and he, he was a big fan of the Walking Dead TV show. I, I don't know if he's still watching it, but he was like a huge fan when it was happening. He was really enjoying it. Um, and then he was watching Arrow. And it was just kind of funny because like I never really watched The Walking Dead. I think I watched like the pilot episode. And I was like, yeah, okay. And then I read, like I think, the first 20, 30 issues of the comic. And I never felt myself fully... Um, pulled in. I never felt myself caring that much about it, so I was like, eh, I guess it just wasn't for me, and that's okay. Um, but uh, I remember him being like, well, why aren't you watching Walking Dead? Why aren't you watching Arrow? And I was like, I don't really care about Arrow. Um, but then the year later, on the second season of Arrow, they had mentioned that they were doing kind of a backdoor pilot for The Flash. That got my attention. Um, I've liked The Flash for a long time, although I really, I, I mean, I think the first time I really got into The Flash um, was, I guess, reading, I'm trying to remember, I think I did kind of a, a reread. It had already occurred. Uh, it was already over, but I read um, Mark Wade's Flash Run, although at times it went a little bit bonkers and crazy, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, had a lot of heart to it. Um, but then when I really started to enjoy Wally um, was reading Jeff Johns. Um, it was just amazing stuff. And I was there just for the very end of his kind of tenure when Infinite Crisis was happening. You had the sorry, Identity Crisis, and you had kind of the tie-ins there, and you had you know Barry Allen's Big Secret, all this cool stuff. And I bought all those original trades because um, I was again, it was just a half second too late to kind of buy the singles at that point, but um, was just loving the character and I've read many of the Flash issues since then I just really enjoyed Wally I was like Barry but I've liked Barry more in death than in life if that makes sense like I just because I miss Wally and his interactions with Barry that used to exist and that's all kind of thanks to the New 52 that kind of all went away um, but the fact that they're making a Flash TV show was definitely like whoa 
that's going to be awesome. And uh, so I remember, I think I watched the two episodes of Arrow, or at least I knew of them, that kind of had that backdoor pilot where you had Barry Allen show up. And I was interested. And at the time, like, uh, this is going to sound embarrassing to say, but I, I'm, Glee was a big thing, right? In, in the like, kind of late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, I think just for the first two years, maybe. And then I think the, the third and fourth seasons kind of puttered out in comparison. Or maybe the first three seasons were good. I don't remember. Maybe they were never good. Who knows? Um, but I remember watching that, and Grant Gustin was a, kind of a villainous character on that. And I was like, oh, he's going to be the Flash. Okay. It's so funny, because now I can't even remember that he was on Glee. Like, I look at him, and I'm like, I can't even remember seeing it. Whereas I'm so used to seeing him as Barry Allen now. Um, and then so when The Flash came out, I was a huge fan, and I thought it was such a fun show. And a, a lot of my issues from maybe that one or two episodes of Arrow I'd seen was that it was, you know, a little bit too dark and not something that really felt like Green Arrow to me at the time. And I'm sure that the, the show changed over time. Um, whereas for The Flash from the get-go, it felt like it was kind of embracing a lighter style. Uh, lighter sensibility, um, you know, it was a lot more comic booky. They were allowing themselves to do sillier things, and at the same time, still had some really cool ideas as well. Um, considering it's all about a character who can run fast, they were able to kind of uh, pull enough out of the the kind of core concepts that were there. And the show has definitely evolved over time. Uh, in some ways, is you know not necessarily been better. I mean, the first season really went hit the ground running with having kind of an ongoing narrative and uh, a looming big bad uh, but it was exciting because you didn't know how it was going to play out or what, what the real secrets were and then it was, it was just it was just really interesting uh, i would say that future seasons have really gone back to the well of let's make you know one big bad for the for the season and it hasn't always worked and sometimes you're just like well why is it why are we still doing this um and I, I feel like sometimes it succeeds when they're doing a lot of single stories that there is a general narrative in the background, but it's not the primary focus of every episode in the same way. Uh, but they've added new characters, they've added all sorts of stuff to Flash, and for the most part has kept my attention. Um, not long, I'm trying to remember the sequence, but I mean, then they had DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which I think came out, what, issue, sorry, season three or four of, of Flash, like it was relatively early, and then you also had Supergirl over on CBS, which was originally a whole different universe, and then uh, they were they were confirmed to at least exist in the same multiverse, and I guess season one of Supergirl, which was actually a really fun crossover, um, because, again, both characters were always played a little lighter, and uh, the sensibilities were a little bit, you know, again, not... Uh, the Sturm und Drang of Arrow, but something, you know, more fun. And I liked kind of having their team-ups were always fun. They had a great interplay with each other as characters, and the actors were actually obviously having a fun time with it. Um, so, I, I, so I bought, sorry, I bought, I was watching, you know, Flash from the beginning, Supergirl from the beginning, DC's Legends of Tomorrow is a show that I find myself less and less interested in as time has gone on, because it felt like at, at the beginning it had a very clear premise. Uh, you know, they're going to go through time. They're trying to stop people meddling with time. It was very much like a, Rip Hunter was a, an interesting choice. I mean, he was the only choice to do a, a series like that. But over time, the more typical or um, regular superhero, all the superhero characters have kind of been um, thrown to the side. And I've been less interested in seeing the evolution of that on the whole. Like, we don't have Rip Hunter anymore. He had the Time Bureau, which is an interesting idea, but even then, they feel like they've been changed and neutered. But again, they're not comic book concept in terms of the, well, they kind of are, but they're not technically from the DC universe, um, unless I'm wrong. Um, they're kind of like the Time Variance Authority, if anything, from Marvel, but uh, in terms of DC, not really. And uh, then you have, like, you know, 
the the white canary okay so she's you know kind of a different character but uh, at least she is more of a superhero but they don't have firestorm anymore um heatwave you know is played more for laughs half the time than really feeling like heatwave anymore um the atom is about to be written off the show you have steel uh, citizen steel or commander steel whatever you want to call him um but again he feels like he uses the steel form even less often we don't have vixen anymore we don't uh we don't have who else do we have we don't have hawk girl and Hawkman. not that they were the greatest in season one but at least they gave some form and definition to the season so i just feel like we've lost a lot of the superhero characters and we've added a lot of kind of other characters which i don't know it, it, the show just feels very different and it's not something i think so this is actually getting to my whole point of wanting to talk about the ever shows is that crisis on infinite earth was a really you know fun event and pulled everything together but the minute it ended i realized i didn't know if i felt the need to continue with a lot of these series so i've been stockpiling episodes of like supergirl i think i'm like you know i didn't watch i think since episode two of the season i, I watched the crossover but i didn't really watch anything leading up to it or after um batwoman i watched like the first two episodes and i was kind of like okay like it wasn't really grabbing my attention i wanted to, i wanted to like it i really wanted to to be hugely invested in it but i found i just didn't really care that much i don't know why um and then even flash since it's come back in crisis i haven't really felt the need to kind of go re- to watch the episodes as they've been coming out and i used to watch them like you know the right away like or maybe not always live but the next day uh, i would always watch the flash and so somehow now i'm at this crossroads with these with these characters with these with these shows that i have followed for years now i'm trying to decide is it worth continuing you know like i in Legends of Tomorrow, I started watching the first kind of non-crisis episode because the first episode of the season was a crisis episode. So I started watching the first non-crisis episode. And I found I couldn't even continue. I, I couldn't get through it. Um, I'm just, you know, it, it just feels like they're, they're resetting the deck again, but it's not a deck that I'm interested in, in maybe watching play out. So I'm at a, kind of a crossroads. I've, you know, followed the, the Arrowverse episodes or shows for years. I never really watched Black Lightning. I watched like, the first episode or two, and it was, it was okay, but it just wasn't quite my cup of tea. I don't know. Um, I, I found also I was watching so many shows that it just felt like they were I was they were piling up on me, so I'm like, eh, I'm going to cut that one. And that's where I'm at now with Batwoman, Supergirl, and Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow. I have, like, tons of episodes to watch, and I feel, like, no compunction to watch them, whereas something like Star Trek Picard comes out, and I cannot wait to watch it. Um, so it's it's making me kind of rethink if it's time to let go of the Arrowverse um, or Flashverse or whatever it's going to be called kind of now that Arrow is gone. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, you know, made me think about it. And I thought I would just kind of expound those those thoughts here. I'm curious to hear from any listeners, like, are you guys watching the Arrowverse shows? Uh, did you watch them? Are you stopping? Are you not watching them anymore? Have the, Has that changed over time? So I'm just curious if other people are having that kind of grappling with now that uh, crisis is over is that is that the was that the perfect time to jump off uh or you know are you are you feeling reinvigorated and watching these shows and i'm am i missing out by not having followed through the rest of this season with these episodes you know as i said like i haven't watched really supergirl this year uh besides the, you know the first episode or two plus the crisis episode and that's like what, eight or nine eight or nine episodes i haven't watched i just felt like with that show it felt like we were rotating and recycling some of the same ideas, but maybe after Crisis it's different because they've kind of revitalized the character and they've revitalized that world because others do things we don't know and we get to discover them with the character and that could be really fun and exciting or it could be tedious, it's really hard to tell. Um, so that is that. And then the, the, the second and last thing I really wanted to get into and talk about, just have my own thoughts on uh, the big kind of change that happened in the last couple of weeks in the comic book industry is Dan DiDio 
seemingly unceremoniously being dumped by DC Comics, and just one day uh, he was gone, and uh, there was no fond farewell, there was no thanks, Dan. There was just kind of he was just suddenly gone, and uh, I think that's really sad. And it's interesting watching people on the internet going like, "Oh, thank God he's gone." To those who are kind of sad that he he's gone, and I have to say that I respect him a lot for what he was. He. I, my, my, my biggest memories of Dan DiDio as a person, and not just like this, you know, force or this thing you read about sometimes, uh, but what, you know, publishing initiatives you may or may not be pushing forward, etc., um, was going to cons in the kind of mid 2000s and uh, seeing him there. I, th- I think in particular I'm remembering one from 2000, and I want to say, eight at uh, Wizard World Philly. And he just had so much energy that he would bring to a table because a lot of panels, especially Marvel panels at the time, were very much like they'd just be sitting in a room and they'd kind of be chatting, but there wasn't like a sense of energy and excitement. Whereas Dan DiDio would go in there with the DC Nation and that kind of stuff, and he would just be whipping people into a frenzy. He'd be, you know, he was just very lively. He was able to capture a room in a way that most combo creators didn't seem to be able to or weren't comfortable being. And so I always respected that kind of uh, almost carnival Barker mentality, I guess similar to kind of 60s Stanley, to be able to really, uh, you know, get people caring, get people talking. Uh, sometimes it was by doing, you know, controversial things or uh, not liking certain characters and almost killing off, them off in Infinite Crisis. <laughs> sometimes that happened, but he was always interesting. And uh, I think he took big swings, and I respect, you know, who. I, I think it's a good thing when you're willing to take risks and do big things and do crazy things. Um, you know, we got to remember under his tenure, we had you know things like Infinite Crisis, which was a big event when it happened because they hadn't had a crisis level event in you know ten years at the time since Zero Hour, and you had Identity Crisis, which you know maybe maybe it brought DC Comics too dark and dirty, but it was definitely a seismic event when it happened. Um, and a, a well-told story, even though it might have done things that some would wish they hadn't done, like, you know, rape a, a, a fond, remembered character and also kill her off in a, a very tropey way, you know, showing that she was pregnant when she died, as if it wasn't enough that she died, that they had to add a, an extra layer there. It always felt a little unnecessary. Um, but, um, you know, taking big swings. Now, the biggest swing that he'll probably be remembered and reviled for, unfortunately, is the new 52. Um, but it's hard to argue against, you know, the idea that they did something daring they did something that at least short term definitely made people stand up and take notice um, there's something about you know that number 52 after the weekly series definitely took on a lot of prominence whenever you see the it's it's funny that you know under his stewardship dc made 52 a thing like that number mattered uh it's just a random number <laughs> it doesn't matter um but suddenly it did and it was just it's kind of like 616 like you know it was just this random thing that took on a life of its own and it really started to matter and so you would see it places and it was it, I, I, I think I will miss him as you know co-publisher and miss seeing what he will do next, uh, because of his you know willingness to take big swings and try things and sometimes course correct and sometimes not and you know and uh, yeah I, I I think it's a loss for the industry to lose uh, an exciting personality. Um, someone again who wasn't scared of. It's interesting if we look at Marvel right now like. In the last 20 years, you've had three editor-in-chiefs, effectively. You've had uh, Joe Quesada, you've had Axel Alonso, and you've had um, the current one, C.B. Sabolsky. And Joe's, Joe 
kind of came of age, so to speak, in terms of being uh, editor-in-chief of the company at the same time, roughly, that Dan DiDio was there. Dan DiDio came a little bit later, I guess, uh, onto the scene, but they were both these giant personalities that were representative of, of each company, and there was something exciting about that, because like there, you, you felt more of an ownership when you could understand who those people were, and you had them going out to cons and having conversations, or, or you'd have a cup of joe, you know, um, showing up on different comic book sites where, you know, Joe Kosav would be answering questions, etc., and you just felt like during those periods that the editorship um, was very important and that you felt you knew who the editor was and it was less of kind of the old school style before before Stan Lee was editor-in-chief. Like, again, there was no, it didn't really matter. Like, there was not as much personality. Uh, but when, especially in the 60s, when you had Stan Lee really becoming the Stan Lee we know now in terms of his personality, um, taking over and, and being a part of what, was driving the editorial of the books and, and being in the books and people kind of understood and, and connected with those characters uh, and those people. Um, that's what, you know, Dan Dio and Joe Quesada were. I would say that in the last, what is it, how, when did Axel Alonso took over? I can't remember, but I would say those periods of, of Sibolsky and Alonso have not been marked with as much kind of an editorial stamp that you could feel like you could, you didn't feel it. I feel like both guys, you know, did great jobs um, and had some good stuff coming out from their from their tenures. Uh, and obviously, Sebulski's is continue, is still ongoing. But I never felt like there was as much personal stamp on the company and the kind of the marketing and uh, you know, kind of talking to fans and having that. I, I just don't think that's the same. And so, it's interesting to see Dan now gone. Is that he was kind of representative of that the DC Carnival Barker, the DC face compared to uh, the, you know, the Marvel face of Joe Posada. Now, Dana Dio has been co-publisher for the last 10 years, so from February 2010 to t- February 2020, and he's co-publisher with Jim Lee, and Jim Lee just generally does not have as much of a profile publicly. Like, he's an, obviously an immensely talented artist, something that everyone like, kind of loves, and I don't think anyone hates Jim Lee, but he also is not out there usually, or is not as out, out loud and proud to talk about DC and kind of wave the flag than Dan DiDio was. So I'm going to miss that part. Again, the New 52 is probably what he'll be most remembered for, this big swing that had short-term gains, but maybe a long-term at fragmented continuity, and the kind of the Wednesday Warriors were upset by it, and you know, people who've been following DC their entire lives probably felt that was a good time to get off because those weren't their characters anymore. But they've slowly started shifting back more and more into that kind of um, uh, the history, like they're delving more and more into the continuity and trying to kind of bring it back more and meld it back together. Um, but you know, we wouldn't be in that in that situation if the New Fifty Two hadn't happened. However, it's hard to uh, you know deny that it definitely had a lot of great runs came out of that, um, out of you know the decks kind of being cleared. Uh, if you look at you know the first couple of years, like you had some great stuff happening in Animal Man, Swamp Thing. Um, obviously, in, in Batman, you had uh, the beginning of Scott Snyder's runs uh, in the Court of Owls. So there was a lot of good stuff that came out of that period um, that we can't just dismiss out of hand and say, oh, it's the new 52. It was all garbage. In fact, there was a lot of good stuff. And the sales were definitely strong in some of those books because, you, you know, you they were starting fresh and people were interested to see what was going to happen next. Um, so it's hard to kind of say that that was all bad. And, and it wasn't. Anyways, thanks for listening to these ramblings. So I'm talking about both the Arrowverse shows and Dan Dio's departure from DC. I mean, it's interesting that they're, they look to be in no 
hurry to kind of uh, plug the hole left by Dan DiDio. Uh, so it looks like Jim Lee is just going to be the publisher, the sole publisher now. Um, and it's interesting, it's curious how much or how involved the publisher ends up being. Because I feel like on the Marvel side, we don't really hear about the publisher. It's not really an ingrained thing that is, gets involved in the kind of ongoing uh, EICs uh, development of the books. Whereas with DC, even though you had what was it, Bob Harris there, um, but you didn't really have anyone else. Like you had Dan DiDio, was still out and proud, still you know waving that flag, still doing interviews, still talking about it uh, in a way that you did you weren't seeing as much from from Jim Lee, and you definitely weren't uh, seeing as much from Marvel's publisher. Anyways, thanks for joining me for this episode as we uh, ramble through. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail dot com. Rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again. Catch you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>